Hey folks, welcome to episode 205 of the FLD Podcast. In Benton, Kentucky, I'm Jody White, uh, joined from Hopkins, Minnesota by our very own, the one, the only, Kyle Wood. Hello, hello. Kyle, uh, we have a lot of pretty hardcore fishing to talk about this week, which I'm excited to do. We also have a guest ahead of time. Big news. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got it together, man. Yeah, well, I mean, you and I are pretty famous for... Uh, how together we are and how dialed in this show is uh but yeah we've got you know some bfl regionals to chat about we've got the final coast flw series regular season event of the year to break down Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh you were uh, involved in that and then we uh i mean i know i went fishing we're going to talk about that i'm sure uh we're going to root on our boy matt stefan even though like by the time people listen to this it'll be done with and we got Brian Latimer on the show. Um, and I haven't done that interview yet, but I'm sure it's going to be good. Oh, yeah. It'll be it'll be baller. Yeah. Brian is the man. Um, I'm interested to pick his brain to see if I can, you know, elevate my personal YouTube game. Uh, <laughs> I don't know that that's doable. Probably it's impossible considering just the whole package. But, you know, we can, we can dream. Yeah. Yeah. You never know, man. Uh, but anyhow. Here's Brian, Kyle, you and I will be back shortly. Sweet. All right, and now we are joined by uh, Brian Latimer, uh, coming off his third year on the FLW Tour as a pro. Uh, Brian, thanks for taking the time to come on the show. I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you guys and uh, including me on this for sure. Um, I I want to, you know, I want to dive in and talk about the season that was, uh, you know, you had some ups and downs for sure. Uh and I want to look ahead a little bit, but before we do that, you know, you've been fishing on tour for three years now. You're crushing YouTube, uh, and you've pretty well carved out a uh, spot for yourself as you know, a, as a pro angler, which not a whole lot of people get to say they can do. So, how do you get to this point? It's um, man, it's it's like a really really long story. Um, you know, I always tell people. Right now, I'm 35 years old, and, um, you know, I always tell people I'm, like, on the, the downside of young. I'm not really young anymore and not quite old, uh, but I've been chasing it for, like, uh, it's going on 14 years now. I fished my first BFL in 2003, I think it was, and um, that was actually while I was going to tech school. And it was just kind of hard to balance going to school, not really being able to work to have money and actual fishing then. So I kind of had to jump in and out of BFLs in 2003. And then 2004, I was through with school. And, uh, you know, I, I was able to work, kind of earn some money. And that's where I kind of started to cut my teeth, started fishing BFLs. And I fished three seasons of BFLs. Um, once I won one, I started fishing the uh, Everstarts. So um, in 2008, I fished my first season on the Everstarts, and I never cast a check that year. I had I had a blast. It was so much fun going to a bunch of different places, learning how to fish, but I never cast a check. And from 2008 to 2011, I just kind of hobbled in and out of the Everstarts. I could fish one. If I did well, I, I could go to the next one. If I didn't, I, just, I couldn't, couldn't finish the season out. So, um, but I continued fishing at home. Um, I kept fishing at home, fishing local derbies, fishing BFLs, 
And, um, you know, I just kind of scrambled up enough money fishing local local stuff and um, fishing BFLs to, to make a stab at fishing Eversurge again in 2012. And uh, t- 2012 was a pretty decent year. I squeaked in there, made the championship that year. And then um, I fished it about two more years. I think 2013, I had a really good year. And um, I just, uh, in 2000, I fished it two more years after 13, 14, and 15. I, I kept fishing, you know, AAA events, fishing the Everstarts. Uh, I think it was the Coasters by then. And uh, 2016 is when I decided to uh, to fish the tour. Just kept fishing local stuff and just scraping up every penny and every extra job I could find in between uh, those three or four years. To to I didn't even have all the money to fish the tour. I had like 12 grand. And I just took a stab at it. <laughs> what uh What were you doing for work like in between uh, all of the fishing? Because I would imagine that the you were fishing probably just enough where it would be maybe hard to hold down like a regular nine to five. Yeah. I've actually never had a regular normal job. Um, I always knew I wanted to fish, so I would never take a job that paid good because jobs that typically pay well require a lot of your time. And I just, I was never willing to sacrifice making money to quit fishing so um, my family owns a landscaping business, and it actually got uh, so intense in the household with my fishing and working in our business that uh, I actually kind of got fired, <laughs> and I had to end up starting. <laughs> this all happened in 2010, 2011, somewhere right in there, and uh, it got so intense that uh, my dad was like, look, you just got to figure it out on your own. So, uh, so from about 2010 until now, you know, I, I had to run my own business because, uh, I, you know, I just I always wanted to fish, and I, I was never really willing to take on a, a normal job. So they were sacrificed time on the water. So I started my own landscaping business 2010, and um, it, I cried about that for so long because I, you know, by then I'm out on my own. Um, I got married, kind of, you know, I had like real true responsibility. And then, um, all of a sudden cold Turkey, I had to figure out how to make a living on my own. And, um, it was, it ended up being the best thing that ever happened to me between now and then I got to fish so much, you know, in my business, when you're done, when you're finished, you're finished. So if you get up early, get your work done, you go fishing. So. I actually uh, got to fish a lot. I, I would almost argue that I get I got to fish just as much, you know, seven, eight, nine years ago as I do now. Um, you know, I, I get to fish longer periods of time now, but uh, you know, in my early twenties or, or late twenties, I, I got to fish pretty much as much as I was willing willing to work hard for. If, if that makes any sense. Yeah, like if you could get a, if if you got your work done, and you were Yo. you were free to go. <laughs> You're free to go, free to go. Get it done, you know, get up, get early, and get it done, or work overtime, get it done. You know, I, I would not take jobs sometimes because I knew BFL season was coming or Everstart season was coming, and, you know, I, I you know, like, no, dude, I got to fish, so I, I just wouldn't, I would skip jobs sometimes. So um, it's just a sacrifice that, that I, you hear a lot of people say, well, you know, if I had the time, well, you know, really everybody has the same platform. It's just uh, – if you're willing to make the sacrifice to 
to maybe struggle a little bit to do what you want. But it's, it ended up being the best thing I ever did. There's no doubt. I like it. Um, so, like, on tour, uh, you've had kind of an – I don't know. You had a really good first year, uh, I would say. Yeah. You, know, you, you got three checks. Uh, you were top 50 in points. Um, and, you know, granted, like, the first tournament at Okeechobee certainly didn't go well, but it really – like I would say, it things looked really promising, and these last right. two years, like they seem to, from a check getting perspective, they seem to have been like a bit more of a struggle. Uh, do you have I, any like insight on that, or like just a vibe? Do, oh my God, do I have? You don't know how much I sit and think about what the heck is going on because you think you know, first year you struggle, second year you get better, usually third year it's like. Now I got, you know, now I'm, I'm riding the bike. You know, I, I got balance. I know how to how to do this. And it almost, it, from a results standpoint, it went absolutely backwards. Um, and the, the thing about fishing is there's just so many uncontrollables. There's so many little intricacies that, that don't get to show up on the results sheet. You know, there's so many little things. You lost one. You went left or you went right or when you should have went right or maybe there's too many boats in the area that you picked that you thought was going to be, you know, your juice. And long story short, you know, I feel like I have learned a lot more in those three years, uh, you know, from first year to now. But, you know, sometimes things just don't pan out the way that you want them to. And, you know, I was I was not really naive to the fact that, that you know, there's going to be some years where you don't catch them. Uh, I was never naive to that. I knew that could possibly be a part of, uh, of of doing this, especially on this level, because, you know, even though I've had a couple bad years, I think there's only been three or four days where I didn't catch a limit. But the level of competition, competition is so much better when you get to the tour level that, you know, like in the BFL, just catching a limit goes a long way. It doesn't really go that far in a tour tournament. Just catching a limit doesn't do that well. And uh, so just moving forward, I just got to really learn how to adjust to uh, to finding bigger limits of fish, uh, you know, still learning how to practice for multiple day events, you know, going from BFLs to tour level events. It's a different style of practice. A lot of the fisheries are totally different than what I grew up fishing on. It's just a huge learning curve. And, you know, a lot of it I, I don't have an answer for. Uh, it's just, just being brutally honest you know sometimes things happen and i don't understand it i don't don't know what happened really the only thing i can do is buckle up and get ready for the next event so um you know as bad as it looks and as bad as it actually feels sometimes i'm actually more more motivated to, to get started and and um and and just kind of get through those bad tournaments i always tell people you know like bad tournaments are like diarrhea you just need to get that out you know, just get that out of your <laughs> Get it out so you can get to the regular life, and that's kind of kind of where I'm at now. It's just getting through that bad patch. Do you think one of the aspects has been kind of building up experience on some of these bodies of water? Because it's no it's great to say that. Well, you know, these are pro anglers. They go somewhere, they break it all down really fast, and all of a sudden, you know, you can be you can win a tournament on a place you've never seen before, but. Right. You can do that, but also every time you're in a pro field on Lewis Smith or Kentucky Lake, you're fishing against 30 or 40 guys who have fished like, you know, 
10 or 15 or 20 tournaments there just about. Uh, right. And that's that's something that I don't think um, the general public really realizes. You know, it's unlike any other sport, I'm literally competing against guys that have fished for longer than I've been living. You know, literally, like Larry Nixon's fished longer as a pro, longer than I've been living. And so they have so much experience. So I'm really patient with myself on on my results. Like it, it, it doesn't. It bothers me, but it, I'm not to the point where it's like, dude, maybe I'm not. This is out for me, just because you know you had a couple bad tournaments. That's that's a part of it, and you're competing against people like you said that that literally have so much experience in their belt, and I'm literally showing up, never seen a place before. And learning it as I go in three days, it's not a lot of time to uh, to kind of figure out how to break down a fifty or sixty thousand acre lake. Yeah. But it can be done, obviously. Oh, oh, yeah, definitely. Um, how about the schedule for next year? Because I'm I know that you fished Seminole before. I know you fished Toho before, um, and I guess probably you fished Chickamauga at, before. I would guess just because it's there, you know, um, and Champlain. Yep, I've fished, uh, I think I've been everywhere on tour next year except for, um, I haven't been to Sam Rayburn before, and um, I want to say that's it. Oh, I haven't been to Grand, or Cherokee. Yeah. The Grand, Cherokee. Not a lot of people will have been to Cherokee, though. That's a, that's definitely a, that's one of the, definitely the more mysterious fisheries, I would say. Right. Right. That, that one's going to be interesting. I think uh, Sam Raven's going to be very interesting as well, just because of the time of the year we're going so early, and it's, it's such a big fish factory. I think it's kind of like in a peak cycle right now. So, um, you know, moving into next year, you know, I, it's is um, it's kind of interesting how it's gonna how it's gonna play out because I'm so used to starting off in Florida, just fishing the Everstarts for so many years. It's just it almost feels weird not even starting in Florida. I'm, I'm glad yep. that we're not. You know, it's not a change of pace. But um, it's, I'm so used to starting off in Florida. So there's a lot of question marks that I have about next year. Typically in those heavyweight tournaments, like I'm anticipating those first two to be kind of uh, kind of heavyweight tournaments, Toho or Sam Rayburn and, and Toho. I, I'm thinking those are going to be heavyweight tournaments and I I typically struggle in those a little bit. Um, so, you know, there's a little bit of uh, reservation about how to how to approach those first two events because I want to get off to a good start. I think, especially the first two years, I had some trouble the first two tournaments. And, you know, even instead of finishing 105 or, you know, 130, if I could have just finished 80th or 70th, I would have made the cup. It makes a huge difference. So I'd like to get off to, you know, a good start at those two events. But, you know, the rest of the year, I, I really like pre-spawn and spawn fishing and uh, fishing during the spawn. So I'm looking forward to, the, to almost the entire rest of the season because most of those events, uh, even Champlain, you know, those could be spawn or, or pre-spawn events for sure. Definitely. Um, I want to uh, I want to ask about YouTube now. When did, like, so this is a big part of what you do. Um, and it's not just... Uh, it's not just like tournament recaps and stuff. Like you've got YouTube stuff going on all the time. Um, right. When, right. like, when did you get started and say this is something that I'm gonna, I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do it consistently. I'm gonna make it part of my game. Um, 
Wow, just, that, how's that been going? Like, that's almost like an entire podcast in itself. It, it, it really we honestly got, has. We got time, man. I got nothing. I got. I just got to write one <laughs> other story today. So whatever, uh, however long you want to talk, I'm here. It, it actually happened by accident. I, I really had. Um, I didn't. I didn't even know that that audience existed when I first first started doing the tour in '16. Literally, you know, just two years ago. I, I didn't even know that that scene existed. And I started doing the uh, tournament recaps just like every other guy does. You know, everybody wants to do a tour recap when they do well, but they seem to disappear when they don't do well. And, <laughs> you know, I, I'm just getting yep. that season that I was like, I'm going to do recaps whether I suck or whether I do well. I was like, I'm, I'm going to do them either way. And in some of the videos, I started noticing people started asking a lot of questions, you know, like a lot of questions about, rigs what did you use where can you buy this or you know there's a lot of questions and, and a lot of them were questions that that to the a fisherman that's been fishing a while would maybe seem very uh you know mundane or or, or almost i don't want to say stupid questions but like, ele- like elementary like basic kind of stuff yeah a lot of basic stuff and so it kind of sheds some light on that you know there's, there's so many new people coming to the sport and nobody's really talking to them. Everybody's talking in, in this industry jargon that someone that's a week, two weeks old into the sport, they just don't understand. They have no idea what you're talking about. They don't know. They've never heard of an Alberto knot or FG knot or medium action rods. They don't. That means nothing to you if, if you didn't grow up fishing or, or you know, you're new to the sport. So um, I saw this, like, huge opportunity to, to, um, to grab some of that attention, one, and to 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 help educate some of the new people coming into the sport. It's been so many new, especially young kids, because of high school fishing. It's it's literally the best thing that has ever happened to our sport. It it almost I want to say maybe triple or quadrupled in size in just a couple of years, and it's all because of high school fishing. So I kind of started to gear a lot of my content towards the educational aspect of it, and. Um, it just kind of made its own gravy. It's, it's just something that I didn't really had no intentions. I didn't have a plan or anything. It's, it's not so much now. And, you know, of course now it's become much more involved project, but in the beginning it, it became, it just kind of something that I just stumbled upon. And I noticed that there was no other pros taking advantage of that, uh, that platform other than Scott Martin at the time. I, I've never, there was not a touring guy It really, uh, had much content on the on the internet and so i just uh, i just saw this huge void and i was like god dude that's that's easy it's, it's so easy i didn't have any equipment um i did have a gopro when i first started and it was so aggravating to use because it would work sometimes and other times it wouldn't so i just started doing everything on my phone and up until about a month ago i never had a camera everything i ever did was on my iphone iphone 6 uh so it's just one of those things that um, it's kind of kind of lucky. I loved to got into it even you know four or five years before that, but it's just one of those things I, I just I enjoy doing. I enjoy the interaction with people, and and it's become a big part of what I what I my whole career actually. You do like teaching trips too, uh, like yeah. where I mean, kind of a guide thing, but kind of not. Like it's much more, I guess, probably educational than let's go catch fish. Um, Right. Did that grow right. out of the so, YouTube, yeah. or was that a whole separate idea? 
Right. It, it all, I'm just so blessed that it all just kind of worked out that way. Um, I never had any intentions of being a quote unquote fishing guide that never crossed my mind. And the same way that I got to YouTube, that's YouTube led me to fishing, being a fishing guide. And what happened in the same way, so many people started asking questions, so much interaction on YouTube about fishing and can you take me fishing? And so I just like, well, you know, dude, if people want you to go fishing with you, if they, if just seeing it on the internet is not good enough, a lot of people wanted to see it, feel it, touch it, like literally show me with, you know, show me what you're talking about. Um, physically show me. And so I started doing the guide thing. The angler development is what I call it. So basically it's not, I, I don't like to call it a guide trip because basically what it is is just trying to show people how to fish. Catching fish is not what bass fishing is about. As crazy as that sounds, it's not exactly what it's about. We're all out there. We have so many baits, rods, and reels, and so forth, because the actual pursuit of getting that bite is what it's all about. And all I'm trying to do is take people out and show them what to look for, why conditions are different when it's cloudy, why you need to use this when it's sunny, why this contest line works best on a spinning rod, or, you know, all the little intricacies of, of getting to actually getting a bite is what the whole angler development deal is about. So um, it's just one of those things, again, where it just kind of fell in my lap and there was nobody there, was no bass guides on my home lake at all. Nobody's taking people out to show them how to fish. And so it was just one of those things where it was a huge void, and I was like, well, there you go. So I just kind of took advantage of it. That's uh, That's pretty cool. Have you, like... Have you found it to be very rewarding to teach people how to fish? Because, like, I've got to, wow. you know, I hear about that a lot. And, like, I know I love watching your Instagram videos with your son fishing because yeah. he's, like, so into it. It is. You, if you watched any of my YouTubes before, like, I take these kids out, especially during the, during the spring of the year when it's the sight fishing deal. Dude, it gets me so jacked up to watch somebody catch one off a of bed or – to, to help them look at a fish on a graph and say, drop it down now. You see it, he's following your bait. That absolutely pushes me to the moon. Like, that is the most awesome feeling to actually show somebody how to catch the fish on a bait they've never caught it on or a way they've never caught it. Or to hear them at the end of the day say, man, I've never caught that many fish before. Or, you know, I never would have thought to do that. That is the most rewarding thing ever and i never saw that coming I, I had no idea that that would be a part of my my whole fishing career i just always saw it as competition aspect and that's still the foundation of why i do everything it's why what i really love doing is competing in bass fishing tournaments that's that's what wakes me up but all of this other stuff has been just such a huge bonus to teach people how to fish and interact with people you never met before is uh something i never saw coming i'm glad that it found me yeah you know so obviously like competitive fishing is a big part of what you do could you ever see a scenario like five years down the road two years down the road where instead of fishing bass tournaments or fishing the tour you were doing you know all of all your other stuff or do you really feel or do you just feel like you've got to always be you know, turning the key in the morning and blasting off and, you know, in that competition. 
I, I don't I don't think I could ever give up tournament fishing. Too, I'm too competitive, too much ego, too much uh, too much work that I put into getting this far to say, well, I don't think I'm going to. It's, it's, it's literally a part of who I am. Like, it's, it's, it's so ingrained to, into me. I, I could never see myself not competing. However, I have decided to maybe cut back on the number of events that I fish every year. So next year, and I've, I've even sat down and talked with my wife about this. And I think for five or six years, I think it would be a good idea for me to com- commit to only fishing the tour you know I, there was a point in time where i thought maybe fishing more tournaments was a great way to to get experience and and you know learn a lot of these bodies of water and it is but it seems to be a little bit counterproductive because I, I i think I, I started to wear myself out just a little bit and what i what i think i'm going to do from from now on is it's been more time in uh being a working fisherman when i mean a working fisherman that means doing the angler development, doing the videos. I'm going to, you know, dedicate a set amount of time every week for that. And also going to some of these places that the tour is going, um, spending a little extra time there, spending three, four or five days there, just seeing what it's about. Not necessarily trying to pattern the fish for the tournament, but going to Sam Raven and figuring out where creeks get muddy for us or figuring out where the good grass is or, you know, just, figuring out where there's a good place to stay. You know, those are things that people don't really think about that you actually have to, uh, they go into your time when you go to a tournament, just figuring out where to get something to eat or where a grocery store is. That can save your hour, two hours time. That's a huge difference when you go to, to pre-practice because you feel like you're familiar with the environment. So, uh, uh, I think that's the approach that I'm going to have kind of from, from here on out, but I don't think I could ever see myself not fishing tournaments. I mean, it would have to at least be triple A tournaments. Cause I enjoy traveling. I enjoy learning new bodies of water and I just enjoy the chase. There's just no way I could ever just totally give it up just to do that. Yeah. I, I would imagine that. I feel like almost anybody who, you know, ends up fishing at the tour level, they've got too much competitive drive to really ever give it yeah. up. Like, heck you yeah. talked about Larry Nixon earlier. He doesn't need to bass fish anymore. You know, he puts himself, right. you know, he puts his body through a whole lot just to go out there and compete. And, you know, you don't, you don't do that if you don't, lo- if you don't love it just because of that, you know. Exactly. Exactly. I, I just, uh, so much, I, I've literally grown up, I mean, it, it sounds like an exaggeration just to be cool, but I've literally spent my entire life fishing tournaments. I, you know, my, my, Dad was a tournament fisherman, so I kind of grew up behind him. Um, and so since I was, you know, nine, ten years old, I've always fished tournaments. And it's just something that I, I literally, I, the whole reason that I got to this point is I love fishing tournaments. I was suffocating working a normal job. It was literally suffocating the life out of me. So there's no way that, um, that I could quit. It's just, just, just no way. What I have to reduce, you know, who knows what happens. You know, sometimes life happens. You have bad string tournaments, and guys have to hit a restart button. I'm, I'm never above that. I don't think I'm above having, you know, a bad three or four or five years. But, um, but I, I couldn't quit just on the sole basis of uh, one making money. I've already made that mistake one time in my life. I'll never <laughs> do it again. And, um, and you know, just to uh, to pursue something else, I, I have to tell them the fish. Yeah, I figure I, I figure that's the answer, but I kind of 
you know, you've you've kind of carved out such a you know such a niche for yourself. I figure it's you're one of like the few guys who it's even worth asking, just because you've got a lot of other stuff going on, and like you're on the you're on the water not fishing tournaments more often than you are on the water fishing tournaments. You know, yeah, um, exactly. It's so interesting how that uh, that tag has been associated with me. I, I hear a lot of people they'll say social media star or or uh, you know YouTube guy. And I mean, in all actuality, I don't really know a whole bunch about those platforms. All I know is I go fishing and I love it and I share those experiences. I, I really don't know a whole lot about those platforms and little intricacies and. I have a lot of friends that reach out and, and ask me what I need to do, and I, I honestly don't know. I, I, you know, I don't know. I, you would have to ask somebody that knows a lot more. I, I don't really know a lot about these platforms and the intricacies, intricacies of making it. You know, getting a crowd or audience or attention. I, I honestly don't know. All I know is that you know, like I like fishing. It's fun. It's cool to me, um, and I take pictures and share them. Yeah, <laughs> so that's well, literally. I mean, I think that's the key thing, though, because you can, you can do all you want, like, you can do all you want, and you could, you know, research every trick in the book to, like, try and optimize stuff, but if the, if, if you're not, if you're not attractive to people, and if your content isn't attractive to people, like, you know, then they're not going to be there, uh, and if your stuff is, if your stuff is good, then they'll follow you, and they'll find you where, you know, wherever, wherever it is like you know there are a lot of people who you know maybe every morning when they eat breakfast watch brian latimer videos instead of the news you know what i mean or like uh, i think uh I, I mean i just think that if you're you don't have to be an expert on it if you have good knowledge and if you're somebody who people like to watch you know right right i think uh I think that's something that uh, the fishing industry is just—they're uh, ready for. They're re- they're ready for uh, not to be necessarily sold something all the time. I think they definitely appreciate the the uh, simple things about fishing. They, they're not really simple, um, but not so technical things about fishing, and that, that's something that really that really really gets me going is the actual catching the fish, and that's kind of how you know doing that whole new youtube series next year and it's called straight up fishing and that's that's what it's about it's um when i was kind of talking to some people about you know just trying to get some some encouragement and and some inspiration for how i was going to do this and a lot of people ask me you know what's your theme what is it going to be about dude i I don't have a theme it's just i like fishing and think it's cool Uh, to me that's enough you know just going to somewhere that's cool fishing with cool people and um just document the process. I don't really have a a really deep objective or or cool angle about it. I just want to fish and share that with people. If that's good enough for ten people, that's cool. If that's good enough for fifty thousand people, I'm cool with that too. You know, so um, I think there's definitely room just for um, just for the simple part of fishing. When is that gonna? I mean, you said next year, but when can we look forward to that? So um, I've actually already filmed one, uh, one episode, my first episode. We're doing 10 destinations. We're going to 10 different uh, places across the United States and literally just doing what I said. We're going to go fishing and film it. 
that's it. I think it'll all make its own gravy. I don't have any – if something comes up that's really cool in the process, then cool. If it doesn't, I'm sorry. That's just really how fishing goes sometimes. But uh, so worked on the first one. The second one we're filming in uh, about two weeks in Charleston. And um, I'm probably going to drop that somewhere around Thanksgiving is the plan. I'm actually having my second kid, so that's why I don't know how that's all going to work out. That's a little bit. Uh, you got bigger things to uh, focus on there a little bit. Right. Right. I'm expecting uh, our second child in any day now. So uh, I, I would like to go ahead and do that now, but it's, uh, it's going to be a little bit much to try to – I just don't know what the timeline is going to be on that. So I'm, I'm shooting for worst-case scenario first of the year, but I'm thinking I'm going to get that done by um, by Thanksgiving. I'll definitely – you'll be the first to know when we All decide right. to launch that deal. I like it. Um, I tell you what, though. We uh, were – the FLW Tour is going to Lake Champlain next year, and Lake Champlain's great, but there's a lot of little lakes in Vermont that I want to take you to, too. So uh, I'm just saying. You know <laughs> I was actually planning on that this year, and you know, I had a little malfunction going down. I already told my wife, "I was like, we got to stay a couple of extra days to fish with Jody." But yes, that that is definitely something that I want to want to take advantage of for sure. Yeah, I, I I'm excited for it because there are a lot of uh, like I'm sure you go you go to a lot of cool places. Uh, I've the last two years, I've watched more people catching redfish in Louisiana than I've ever watched before in my life, and it's like a bucket list destination for me now. And I don't know if I'll ever make it down there. I'm sure I will sometime, but it's that uh, is gosh, is that amazing? You have to do it, Jody. You have to. It is absolutely amazing. You know, I I live four hours away from the coast. I know absolutely nothing about saltwater fishing, redfish, or any of that stuff. Nothing at all. I, I have, you know, nothing. And every year I've been there, you just show up, you just kind of point your boat in the direction of something that looks good, and there's redfish there. It's, it's absolutely amazing. So you have to go to Venice, Louisiana to uh, to get a piece of that. It's, it's so much fun. Yeah, one of, the, one of these years it'll happen, because it's not like it, I mean, look, it's a bit of a hike and all, but when you've got that right. that good of fishing, you kind of just have to do it. Like this, I mean, just a couple of days ago, I went to St. Clair because I was like, you know, it was, I was like, I went last year. It was great. I just got to go again and just go fish because it's that great. When you've got yeah. those kind of destination places, you got to take advantage if you can. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's, that's pretty much the same way that, um, you know, Venice is this, uh, you know, even with some of the best bass fisheries that we go to, we go to a lot of really iconic fisheries on tour. And, you know, like the St. Clair's, the Sam Ravens, Okeechobee, those places are really, really iconic. And you get there a lot of times and you figure out, like, crap, this is actually not that easy. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> but, yeah, I'm telling you, Venice is absolutely amazing. It is It's almost should be illegal how many fish is in that place. I would love to know how many fish per acre living at Mars is it's unbelievable. It's, it's almost like if you go anywhere there's clear water, there's redfish there. There's, there's, there's always redfish there. So it's a place you'll, it'll ruin you. It'll make you, it'll cross your mind to quit bass fishing when you go down there. It'll, oh, no. Like, you'll think about it. <laughs> you'll think about it. It's that good. 
Oh, I don't know if I, maybe I don't want to go then. I always try not to use like really, really expensive rods and reels because I get worried that I'm going to get too spoiled. And uh, then I would have to, then I'd be like, oh man, now Jody's extremely broke because he wanted to spend all this money on tackle. I feel like that could be the same scenario with redfish. (laughs) Well, it's the same deal. Well, here's the beauty about, uh, I've learned about saltwater fishing the few times that I've been. It's, it's totally the polar opposite of bass fishing. You don't, all three times I've been there, I've used one rod for three days solid. You don't need a lot of tackle. You need one or two rods. And really, you just need a good dependable boat just to get around because the marsh is pretty vast and it, it can, you can easily get lost. That's really the most important tool. It's not about the rods and reels like it is in bass fishing. It's not really that technique specific. Um, so that, you know, that makes it even more fun for me because I'm really not a technical fisherman anyway. I just, just give me something, give me any kind of rod, reel, line, let's go. Let's, let's get this done, you know. So, um, when I get down there and all I have to literally think about is where do I want to fish is I'm just in hog heaven. I like it. Well, Brian, we have talked for, uh, I guess, uh, probably about 35 minutes at this point now, which, uh, has been wonderful because I always like talking with you, but... <laughs> We should probably let things go at some point in time. Um, where uh, where can folks find more Brian Latimer? Well, you can follow me, of course, on YouTube. I don't have a, a really cool name on YouTube. Just search my name, Brian Latimer. Um, on Instagram is Brian underscore Latimer. And you can follow me on Facebook as well. It's uh, at Brian Latimer Fishing on Facebook. Keep up with me there. And, um you know, put a, a lot of the content that I put on YouTube, you know, I recycle a lot of that stuff on Facebook. So if you're not really used to YouTube, to looking at uh, YouTube, you can always look at the same content on Facebook as well. All righty. And that is uh, Brian yeah. with an I, uh, not like thrift. Yes. Um. Yeah, not <laughs> I have, I, basically, basically when I when I win one, I'll see if I can get my name changed to a Y so I can be like him. <laughs> Well, I uh, I'm here for that, uh, but also, I mean, maybe you win enough, we'll get him to change his name. Yeah, yeah. exactly, exactly. <laughs> All right, man. Well, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it, and I uh, hope you have a great day. And uh, you know, best of luck with the birth of your second child too. Congratulations, preemptively. Thanks, I appreciate it. Appreciate you guys including me on this. Kyle, the first subject of the day here is the Costa FLW Series Central Division finale uh, on Lake of the Ozarks. You covered this thing remotely, so I'm assuming that you can tell me everything I need to know about it. Oh, of course I can. Uh, Yeah, it was, uh, like you said, the final Costa regular season event. It was the final Central Division event of the season. Um, Jeremy Lawyer won it. It was on Lake of the Ozarks. Um, he won it with 46 pounds, three ounces. Uh, it was actually kind of tough fishing. Well, if you, day one did not seem like it was tough because it was like, uh, some 19 pound bags, some 18 pound bags. Like the weights were way better than most people thought. Yeah. Uh, when we got to the final day, there was a lot of flipping, flip flopping going on day one. A lot of guys caught them real good. They didn't catch them real good day two. Most of the guys that wound up making the top 10 didn't catch them so great on day one, but rallied on day two. Uh, and it was like a who's who of Ozark hammers. David Ryan, Sean Kowal, James Watson, 
um, Stacey King, Dennis Burhorst, Jeremy Lawyer. Uh, you can even throw Arnold Payne Jr. in there because he's from Missouri, uh, just lives in Indiana now. So, I mean, that was like hefty competition. Um, but, yeah, dudes are crushing it. The topwater bite wasn't really a thing. I mean, it was, but it wasn't. It, like, was just a little early. Like that whopper plopper bite and the, uh, well, really, like a buzz bait or any of that kind of normal fall stuff that goes on in the Ozarks. It's just a little too warm. Didn't Stacey King catch a big one day on the topwater? Well, so what happened was the water temp, it'd been, like, in the 80s all of practice. Then on Wednesday, the day before the event, it was, like, in the 60s. And then the first day of the tournament, it was, like, sunny, uh, clear, windy, and blowing pretty good out of the north. So it was, like, in the low 50s. Uh, some of the guys caught them really good, like, running up the river or um, uh, flipping docks. Like, it set the fish up on docks really well. On day two, it was still cold, uh, like, low 50s, rained pretty much all day, and not a lot of wind. That's the day the topwater bite let loose. That's most of these guys, like Jeremy Lawyer caught a big bag. He had like 18. Uh, Stacey King caught 23-2 uh, on a topwater. Uh, that's where a lot of these local dudes played the conditions and made their moves to get into the top 10. Uh, it was actually pretty impressive. Like it was, um, it, I feel like the Ozarks are kind of the uh, case study for uh, like local dudes playing conditions you know, to fish a really good tournament. Like, yeah, okay, things weren't so great on day one. Oh, look, today it's cloudy, this and that. I'm going to do this pattern, and I'm going to catch fish. And that's what a lot of them did, while some of the guys that don't have as much experience weren't able to adapt, you know, and and catch fish again. Lawyer, um, he had a pretty uh, simple game plan. He pretty much fished um, windblown points, like, on the main lake, and then the first couple of docks inside that point. Now, there's a lot of docks on Lake of the Ozarks, and a lot of guys flip docks. Lawyer said if he came around the point and there was like two, three, four docks kind of spaced out, those were money. If he came around the corner and there was like a dozen docks like stacked real tight together like there not are money. on a lot of places, yeah, those. And they were only not money because he said it took too long to fish them, which is completely understandable. Was he like going um, behind them a lot? And it was just inconvenient for those more tightly packed docks, or was he? Is was it just a purely a number of dock thing? I think it was purely a number of dock thing. Okay, um, cool. He he did catch some on a dock on day one, but that was because the conditions set up for the dock bite, right? With the sun and the wind. Um, day two it was pretty much a whopper plopper and a buzz bait did a lot of the stuff for him uh, on those main lake points. There were handful of other guys in the top 10 local dudes that that fished main lake stuff or fish summer patterns uh like deep like 25 to 30 feet of water rock piles and and brush and stuff like that because um, these fish were very much in transition uh but lawyer the other really interesting thing is he said before the table rock costa which was the first one of the central division uh he actually uh didn't transfer any waypoints over for that tournament, you know, from years past. Because Lawyer, ton of experience on Table Rock, ton of experience on Lake of the Ozarks. He said, you know what, I don't want to get caught up in that, I'm going to fish. And he did that, and he had a really good tournament. I think he finished, he made a top ten, like fourth or something like that. I wrote it in the story, I don't know where it went. Uh, he had a really good event. 
Well, he just before coming to Lake of the Ozarks just picked up a new boat. So he did the same thing. He didn't transfer any of his waypoints over. And he didn't even really have that good a practice. But he just kind of pieced everything together as the day went on. And he said uh, that he really wanted to kind of lean on whatever pattern presented itself based on the conditions. So um, it was a it was a well-fished uh, tournament by by him and, and several of the other guys. But he, uh, he had a pretty good one-two punch with a... A prototype Jack Shaky Head. Uh, that's going to be his signature series jig with the Magnum Trick Worm on it, and then the Whopper Plopper. Like that was pretty much. If you got around dock, you might throw the Shaky Head at it. Otherwise, some of the bluff banks on the main lake points. Uh, that was like where that Whopper Plopper really played. And he didn't get a lot of bites on it, but when you get bit on that Whopper Plopper, I mean, it tends to be a tends to be a big one. Okay. Okay, I like it. Do you think a uh, lawyer is going to go ahead and, like, take the Brent Ayler approach and just be like, no, waypoints, who needs them? I, I mean, maybe. He, he talked about how the tour has really helped build his confidence in just kind of fishing and, and building as the tournament progresses and, and, you know, learning things as the tournament goes on and, and kind of adjusting with that. Uh, so I could maybe see him being into it. I mean, this is two tournaments where not having waypoints really you know helped him uh now granted they're also both fisheries he had a lot of experience on to begin with but mm-hmm. uh i don't know I, we could maybe see that we'll have to ask him at the coast championship yeah i think uh i think we definitely should uh probably should have him on the podcast eventually here too i think we've probably you know, had probably. him on before i'm not sure but you know i always like talking with the man yeah, he is a he is a really cool dude to talk with. Um, well, that was uh, that was cool. Did anything? I mean, other than I guess sort of the you know the up and down nature of that tournament and the weather. Did anything stick out to you about it? Like, I mean, just that you hadn't seen before or anything? Because I know you haven't. I don't know. Have you been to the Lake of the Ozarks? Uh, I have. Yep, I covered a springtime coast of there a couple of years ago. Yeah. Um, any any other Ozark related thoughts? Um. Not really. It, it uh, to me, it like initially, like I said on fir- on the first day, all the big weights. It was kind of like, wow, like this is maybe going a lot better than I thought it would. Uh, by the end of the tournament, the final day, the fishing was really tough. Like lawyer only caught a limit for thirteen pounds. I think there were only three limits caught on the final day. Um, he had one of them, obviously, and some of that was boating traffic. Uh, got the lake real choppy, and uh, you know you've been on there that yep. when it uh, when them big boats come out, it is not. It's not uh, very fun hospitable for bass fishing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but otherwise, I mean, it was pretty straightforward. Top water and a shaky head with a mag trick worm. That's if you have a takeaway from the top ten baits. And here's how bad the top water bite was. Uh, James Watson. Right? He's like Mr. Whopper Plopper. Didn't even catch him on a Whopper Plopper. He caught them all on a jig, flipping docks. That's so sad. Namely because he couldn't get bit on the Whopper Plopper. But, hey. It is what it is. What are you going to do? One uh, takeaway from Lake of the Ozarks is that your fantasy team did bad and still did way better than my fantasy team. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I thought for sure you beat me because... After day two, 
I, it kind of clicked. Like I, I finished writing the top five pattern story, and I was like, dude, I think Jody beat me. Let me tell and you. I didn't even bother to really look into it more. Dion Hibden finished 100th. Ooh. Not great, Dion. Not great. Ooh. Um, which, you know, I guess I can see my picks of Sakura and Scanlon not doing great because that offshore brush is kind of their game, and it seems like that wasn't really the main player there. But, like, mm-hmm. Dion's a doc dude, and docs were a thing. So, yeah. I don't know about that. Um, yeah, Arnold Payne was the only guy that really focused on brush, like solely on on brush. Yeah. Um, other guys, you know, there's brush piles on the ends of docks, so you're like you're fishing the dock, you fish out a little bit. There's some jig hits a brush pile, you're like, oh, okay, cool, I'll cast at that again. Yeah. But yeah, that was that was very surprising that those guys, because it was kind of there, especially on the first day. But uh, I don't know. I thought your team was was pretty stout. I thought my team just crumbled hard. Well, you know, Andy Morgan finishing 48th is unusual for Andy Morgan. Yeah. Uh, one uh, one takeaway from this other than that, so it's all tied up going into the championship, so I guess we got to finish the championship. Uh, it, it actually matters. It, it matters, uh, for sure. Um, but really, you know, uh, outside of that, Stacey King walked away with the AOI, had like a dominant season. Dude, he absolutely did. Three top tens in a row. Uh, I mean, I, I talked to him a little bit about it on day two when he took the lead with that big bag. And he was just, like, he was very thankful that he could even still be, you know, fishing at the level he is at his age. Uh, and he just kind of, like, man, he got on a roll and just kind of kept rolling. Yeah, for sure. Um, the other uh, – the other guy who i feel like we should probably mention is uh garrett pocket um dude so finished second in this one he finished second in at a uh, barkley or yep. well kentucky slash barkley you know whichever um did pretty bad at table rock uh to start the season um yes but point is top 10 in aoy uh he's qualified for the tour he's also qualified for the elite series um and I think, so I think he's like been top 10 in AOI now in like the Eastern Opens and the Centrals. The dude is having a heck of a year. Um, yeah, he is tearing it up for like sure. Just all around. Uh, he's from, he's from Michigan. So yep. like he would be, you know, I think he guides on St. Clair. Um, but gosh, I tell you what, the more he fishes outside of Michigan, the more I'm like, Holy smokes! This guy could be frighteningly good, like mm-hmm. really good. And uh, he uh, he leaned on docks pretty much this whole tournament at Lake of the Ozarks, and he it was kind of funny because you know, like I mentioned earlier, there weren't a whole lot of non-local guys that made the top ten. Uh, and then you throw in Garrett, happens to be one of them. Well, uh, he Brandon said he Perkins. got bit. Or, huh? uh, sorry, Austin Brown, not Brandon Perkins. I don't yeah. know why I get Austin Brown and Brandon Perkins confused. Whatever, young dude that catches fish on Tennessee River. Yeah, I mean, Kentucky they, Lake. they do definitely both catch fish on the Tennessee River. Same same thing. Uh, but Garrett, like, he just got a couple bites in kind of a big general area and was like, well, like, I don't know enough about this lake to run patterns like some of these other guys do and know, you know, what places are 
you know, turn on when. He's like, so I'm just going to, like, flip a Texas rig, trick worm around docks, and just see what happens. <laughs> and, you know, boom, finishes second. So It looks like it worked out pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I would say so. All righty. Um, shall we uh, move on into BFL land? We should. I want to point out, I feel like that was one of the more detailed coaster reviews we've had in a while. Um, Not tooting my own horn. I'm just saying I think I think there was some good juice there. Maybe it's because it's so fresh in my mind. Yeah. I mean, I got to imagine the Thousand Islands was pretty detailed. I mean, you were there. I mean, maybe. But I feel like having, like, when you travel, then you get a little, like, I don't know, you're a little more out of it, maybe. Maybe it's because I got to sleep in my own bed every night and write the stories that I was a little more tuned in, perhaps. I don't know. Okay. Just throwing it out there. Well, I uh, I guess we'll see. Um, I, I'm glad there was a lot of detail. For sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I bet you are. <laughs> uh, anyhow, so we had two BFL regionals, uh, which we sort of previewed in that we said they existed. Um, the uh, first one was on the St. John's River, uh, Bama, Bulldog, Gator, and Savannah River Division. Uh, fish that uh troy morrow who you may have heard of um he fishes the FLW. He catches fish yeah well that's debatable um if you when he's catching fish he's catching fish yeah uh although if you look at his flw tour stats this year um, not so great you might want you might want to reconsider that uh but yeah so troy morrow caught him smashed him really um, and he was basically like just fishing a worm on docks, which is pretty great. And some shell beds, I believe. Sounds sounds uh, about right for him. Yeah. Uh, the St. John's River is like, it's a really good fishery. And I love, I mean, you and I have talked about this a little bit, how much fun it is to go to Florida, not in the spring and not yeah. in the winter. Like, that's really the time to be there. And, I mean, there were a bunch of big bass caught in this tournament. Uh one of the guys uh, caught, like, 25 pounds on one of the days. I mean, fishing was great. Um, Matt Kinney got second. He was fishing, like, in Crescent Lake, uh, mostly flipping a worm, throwing a crankbait a little bit on wood. And then uh, Grant Kelly um, was fishing, like, in the river, you know, in the St. John's, throwing a popping frog, uh, and, like, skipping it around under under, like, docks and trees and stuff like that um sweet which is like pretty baller uh so anyway that's the low down there there is a story on it on uh, com. i didn't write it i'm just basically reading from it so you can get a little more detail if you want to go there um yeah for sure the funny thing is uh you're probably going to bring this up we were talking about if we were even going to have the st john's regional because of the hurricane <laughs> yep they fished meanwhile all yeah, and then the one that we didn't think there'd really be any issue on, canceled today. Yep. Uh, Hashtag segue. Okay, before we segue, can I mention Dang. all the top six who qualified for the All-American? You know what? That's probably a good idea. Okay, I do think it's like worth doing. Uh, so you got Troy Morrow, Matt Kinney, Grant Kelly, uh, Jason Reed, Nicholas, ooh, Honing, Honig? Honig? Nicholas, uh, and yep, Kip Nick. Carter. Um, and then on the co-wingler side, uh, Randy Paquette won. I'm guessing not related to Garrett, but 
deserve we some more research. <laughs> um, Could be an uncle. I mean, look, I'm not totally saying it's impossible. Uh, <laughs> Gary Murphy, Donnie Davis, Ernie Thompson, Frank Godwin, and Levi Crossway. All those dudes headed to fish the BFL All-American in, I believe, June on the Potomac. So, mm-hmm. also, mm-hmm. I don't know exactly, but I know Troy Morrow has won the All-American before, and I think Kip Carter might have. Um, so, definitely, we'll, we'll dive into that more when the tournament rolls around, but there's, uh, there's some sticks going to the All-American this year, as there are every Shizzle. year. Shizzle. All right. What should we talk about now, Kyle? Oh, I don't know. Maybe the other BFL regional that was on the Chesapeake Bay? Oh, good call. Let's do that. Uh, so, anyway, this one was on the Chesapeake, and day two got canceled because of high winds. Um, and, like, basically there was a front that rolled through, and it really dramatically changed things. So it turned into, a, instead of a three-day tournament, a two-day tournament, full field both days, and there was a lot of water that was fishable on day one and blown out on day two and vice versa. Um, mm-hmm. But anyhow, um, Joseph Thompson uh, won it. He uh, caught 10-7 on day one, 19-2 on day two uh, for a total of 29-9. So almost 30 pounds. He, like, running back on day two, having 19 pounds in the well, he thought he might be in contention for a top six. He didn't think, oh, man, I got, I've got, i got this one. Um because he was in 25th place after the first day. Yeah. But he did. Uh, anyway, on day one, he caught all his fish on one laydown that he was fishing with, like, three other people with a drop shot. Uh, which is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, on day two, he says he caught his fish uh, on a little grub that he fished, like, not on a pier, but, like, on pieces of cover around a pier. Like, everybody, he said, like, everybody else would come in and flip the pilings. And he would, you know, he was just a little farther off of it, like, casting this stuff that he knew was there. Uh, according, to, according to Thompson, he's got, like, a lot of experience here, you know, on the Chesapeake Bay and then on the Potomac. Those are, like, his kind of home fisheries, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so he caught some fish doing that. And then he caught fish at a, uh, like, basically, like, a place where the tide pulls through, like, at a marina, essentially. Um, where, you know, there's the right amount of current. It's coming the right place. He was spot-locked, not moving. And, like, he was drifting a Senko through there. Uh, and it's, like, it's over, it's over 10 feet deep, apparently. And he's just, like, slowly, like, ticking this thing through with the tide. And, uh, <laughs> which sounds excruciating. Um, oh, it sounds horrible. But the key to that was that he caught three like big fish, so that was uh, that worked out well for him. Um, and then in second, Ronnie Baker uh, led on day one, and he was fishing a marina. He had one real specific spot because um, he was boat number ten on day one. Uh, he was boat number one hundred and forty-eight on day two. Uh, Day one, he caught him on a Rapala DT4 and a speed craw, like basically fishing this specific spot in the marina. He says that on day two, Joe Thompson was fishing that same spot. 
I don't know 100% if that's true or not, but mm-hmm. I think it is likely that somebody, maybe Joe Thompson, maybe not, had a very good day two fishing where Ronnie Baker fished on day one. Um, but anyhow, day two, he couldn't get that spot, you know, so he, like, kind of knocked around the marina, caught really nothing, went to some docks where he caught a four-pounder the day before, caught nothing. Finally, he ends up on this rock bank, catches one on the DT4, uh, leaves it, catches nothing, comes back, catches another one. Finally gets back to this rock bank, stays there for good, uh, catches, I think he caught four on the final day. Um, uh, but he lost one other fish and jumped off a four pounder. He had the bites to win. So it's kind of, it's kind of gutting for him, but such is life. And he's going to the all American persistence pays. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, Moo Bay caught, uh, let's see, he caught 14-3 on day one, um, and he was basically flipping a brush hog on shallow wood. And on the final day, that pattern totally fizzled. He ended up catching him on rock with a 5-16 ounce jig. Um, and that only worked for four fish. Although his coalinger caught his limit. But he caught a key mm-hmm. five-pounder, which... You know, kept him in the cut, bumped him up to third. So uh, that's pretty much the uh, story there. What, uh, on the subject of Bay, and I don't want to give out, like, uh, you know, any spoilers, but, like, how does Bo get stuck in the mud? Great question. Because you're right. I didn't (laughs) mention that. Actually, there was a lot of hardship uh, or, like, improbable things that happened to make this top... uh, this top three come together because oh, Joe yeah. Thompson fell off his roof and separated his shoulder and then fished the thousand islands, uh, super tournament in a sling to catch like what he caught to catch whatever he caught to make the regional. Mm-hmm. And then Bay couldn't fish that tournament or couldn't fish the final tournament of his division. I think he probably was fishing the Shenandoah. Yeah, um, he was because he sent me a picture of it. Essentially, he's got, like, a pretty big backyard, and it rained a whole bunch, and he got his truck out of it, but he didn't get his boat out of it. There's a picture of the boat sitting on a trailer and just mud, like, everywhere. So, basically, it just got too soggy for him to move it. And I'm guessing he probably found out, like, really late, like, too late for him to be like, oh, let me you know, call some buddies with bigger equipment or something like that. Like, I bet it, Yeah. honestly, yeah. it might have happened, like, morning of the tournament. You know what I mean? Um, but, yeah, so he got the call to actually come fish because he finished, like, 62nd or whatever. Uh, he got the call to come fish, like, basically the day before the tournament. And he got out and he caught, like, two good fish on the first two places he stopped in practice and then ran around looking for clean water the rest of the day. And that was his practice, like, one day. Dang, that's impressive. Yeah, no, wicked impressive. Um, so anyway, it was actually, I mean, it was it was only two days, which, you know, I guess more days merrier, but it was a pretty cool two days, to be honest. Um, although I do, I do feel kind of bad for Ronnie Baker. Yeah. Um, but anyhow, Ryan Bowman 
uh, finished fourth. Chris Martinkovic finished fifth. Steve Wiseman finished sixth. Those are your other boaters who qualified for the All-American. And then uh, on the Coinger side, Michael Bonweg caught, uh, finished first. William Alley finished second. Henry McKee finished third. Michael Nelms in fourth. Howard Smith in fifth. And David Williams in sixth. Uh, not our David Williams. Although our David Williams did fish this tournament. Ah. Um, another guy who fished this tournament uh, is Brian Schmidt. And he finished 36 and caught one for one pound 15 ounces on day one. Yeah, it was not not the start he wanted. Yeah, not great. Uh, William, why? Uh, David Williams, our boy from Maiden, North Carolina, finished 53rd. So... Not, you know, just as... So the tour dudes kind of crushed him. Or, well, Troy Moore crushed him. The tour dudes fishing this particular event, not so hot. Uh-uh. Anyhow, I guess that's about it. Well, baller. Yeah. Uh, as of us recording this, Matt Stefan is in either third or fourth. He's in fourth. He's in fourth in the U.S. Open. Um, 12 pounds, 0.7, or 12.75. That's his weight. Jason Barofka is like just a pound ahead of him. Uh, Kurt Dove, you know, not to, you know, ignore other tour pros. Kurt Dove is in third, I believe, right? Yep. 12.85. Barofka's got 13.84. And Bub Tosh, 13.20. He's in second. So anyhow, personally, I'm rooting for, uh, Matt Steffen, but, you know, I would be, uh, be happy to see you know whoever wins it win it because it's a cool tournament what do you think the big fish weighed in was on day one uh 5.17 four pounder man i was way over you know yeah i would have thought it would have been a five something too bridgeford has some kind of like if you catch like the lake record or tournament record smallmouth which is like five and something pounds you get like fifty grand. Yeah. Um. Someone should try for that. Maybe someone will catch that today. Anyway, by the time you're listening to this, the tournament will be over. You can go check it out, find the results out, see who won. Uh. But you know, we're talking about now because why not? Yeah. Because uh. it's. I mean, as we're recording this, it's current. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for a few more hours, anyhow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. But I am. I don't follow the U.S. Open, like, super religiously, obviously. I'm like, okay, here's when it starts, here's when it ends. But you know, I haven't gone to, like, read about patterns for it or anything. Um, although, if you want to see some really pretty footage, I recommend watching Carl Jacobson's U.S. Open video from last year. Uh, dude, Lake Mead is gorgeous. Let me just say that. It is. Yeah, uh, Definitely. I can't wait to open the Costa season there next year. Although I bet probably I don't get to go cover that one. Maybe I will. Hey, you never know. But it's a cool place. Um, Kyle, have you been fishing at all lately? No, man, I've been working, but I know you've been fishing. I have been fishing, like, a lot. Do you want me to explain myself on why I caught largemouth at St. Clair? Uh, A little bit, yeah. Okay, so... 
I need some clarity on this. I'm going to be honest. I caught, I believe I caught a total of five largemouth while I was there. Um, now, one of them was a four-pounder and one of them was a five-pounder. Uh, the others were of no account. Um, <laughs> in the Detroit River, I just was, I caught them in, you know, current kind of related places where I honestly expected to catch smallmouth. So Aha. that was not my fault per se. You catch them on the A-rig? No, I caught them on a tube. Ah, sure, sure. Now, that one big one I caught, I was in the St. Clair River, and it was really windy. It really was pretty windy the whole time. Uh, but we had been fishing in an area where Sean, especially Sean Ostruska, his dad, Sean's dad, like, was in the was in the back of the boat, but was like he wasn't standing up anymore. He was like he just kind of quit fishing some, or he was like trying to sit down and fish. It was rough, so mm-hmm. we ran into the river. We were kind of like poking around some shallow spots, trying to catch a smallmouth or two. Well, eventually, we kind of quit that, and we're gonna go. We're going back out to the lake, and I'm just like, you know what? I just want to look in one of these little side canals. Like I want to see what's there. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's rough. It's going to be nice in there. Let me just investigate a little. So I pull into one. I go to the left. I go in. They got all these little canals that, you know, all all that come off of the river. And so I go into one to the left, and we don't catch anything there, even though it looks gorgeous. And I'm idling back out, and Sean's like, we should go out to the river. I'm like, well, let me just go back here. There's like a little, there's like a bridge where a road is, and there's a deep hole right next to the bridge. I'm like, man, this looks pretty good. So, fire my jig in there, because I tied on it. I brought one jig with me, um, <laughs> and uh, I tied it on specifically to, you know, now that I was fishing this grass, fishing in shallow. I drag it around. I like, falls off the end of a pipe and drops down, and it's down in this hole. I'm just dragging it along the bottom. Boop. There she is. So, anyway, <laughs> that's the five-pounder. Okay. Okay. Um, which I mean, I was. I mean, I'd be, I'd be curious too about what was going on in the canals. Here's the, th- uh, here's the thing. If I, like, I love Saint Clair. It's amazing. I also am frustrated by the lack of a pattern that I can put together on that lake. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. Like my mapping for that lake sucks. Uh, that I have currently. I understand there's good mapping available. The mapping that I have for not pretty. And, you know, it's, uh, so that's an issue. The, just like, it's just a tough lake for me to have confidence in when I'm not actually catching fish. If I'm catching fish, I'm like, oh, this is great. But if I'm like trying to go learn stuff, it just feels like a lot of just stupidly flailing around. (laughs) Um, and I don't like that. Uh, but man, you get into those little pockets and you're fishing for largemouth. It's like you're on the hunt. I start to feel it again. So, and granted, I mean, I I'm gonna go up there again sometime. I'm sure, and I'm gonna fish almost exclusively for smallmouth again for sure. But I like catching largemouth too. Like I'm an equal opportunist to an extent. I mean, I prefer catching smallmouth, but. It just well, you know, if it's a confidence boost too, you yeah, know, like, haven't been catching a smallmouth, you can go catch a largemouth. You're like, okay, I'm back. Let me put it I this way: this. if I lived up there, I'm pretty sure that I, 
I would say probably like one out of ten days, I bet I'd spend it fishing for largemouth. Nice. Just because, like, there seems like there's a lot of them there. It seems like they're pretty dumb. Um, and I like catching largemouth. Like, I like catching fish, and I feel like I'd get bored after a while of catching, you know, infinite smallmouths. Maybe I wouldn't, but I don't know. It's tough to... Well, it's always nice to have options. Yeah, that's the thing. It's... Dude, it's a great fishery. It's like when I fish at the Thousand Islands. Like, I love fishing there, but also, like, I catch smallmouth, and I kind of like keeping a jig rod on deck. And you, every once in a while, you slip over and you flip a little milfoil, milfoil for, you know, half hour or so. And then you pop back out and you do... It's just... I don't know, man. It's just fun to have variety in your life. Mm-hmm. It's the spice of life, actually. I've heard that. Yeah. Uh, but, man, so it's such a cool place. How many muskies did you catch? I didn't catch or any. Or sea caught? I caught no muskies. I did have one follow my umbrella rig. Um, ah. See, I thought I thought you would have tied into one on the on the A-rig. You know, I kind of thought I would, too. I was kind of hoping I wouldn't because I was like, if I do, it's going to be the end of this A-rig. <laughs> um, Shauna Struska did not catch any muskies. In fact, went like 0 for 5 on musky bites. Uh, good going, Sean. His dad, however, did catch a muskie. Um, ah, that's the picture you sent yeah. me. So, and that was, I guess, uh, 44 inches is what they settled on, although there was a little disagreement <laughs> about that. Um, which seems like a pretty big muskie. Yeah, that's a good ski. It's uh, a real good ski. He caught it on, I don't know what he caught it on. Maybe a bulldog. Maybe not. Something. Yeah, one of, bulldogs you know, are, some musky bulldogs are good. Uh, Back to the Ostruska musky misses. Were these like boat side figure eight musky misses? No, he never missed. He never had one come up boat side. I was pretty disappointed by that. I was really hoping to see that. The closest one oh. that we ever had come up boat side was when, uh, was honestly the one that followed my A rig up. And he was like right up by the troll motor. And I was like, ooh. And I pulled my A rig away from him. <laughs> so I was like, I don't want that. Nah, nah, you don't. You I also don't react with fear to musky. I don't react rationally. I'm not like, oh, let me figure eight this. I bet if I figure eight <laughs> it, I could have caught that thing. Probably. Um, but, dude, it's just so cool. It's such a good fishery. Like, there's so many big smallmouths there. And so many smallmouths there. Oh, it's a pleasure. And I love catching them on the A-rig. I hear you. I'm going to go sling an A-rig around tomorrow for some smallmouths. Uh, I think that's a great plan. Yeah, yeah. I After uh, not really getting to fish at all this weekend with writing stuff, I was like, you know what? Me and old Danny Q from Rapala are going to go out and sling an A-rig around and see if we can hook into a couple brown buttes. Uh, are you fishing on the river or a river? Are you going to a lake of some sort? What's your uh, situation? We're, we're going to the St. Croix. All right, I like it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of a that's kind of Q's home pond, so we're gonna uh, we're gonna play around there. Cool, cool, cool. Um, is that like? I guess I'm trying to think about Saint Croix. So, is that uh, like a big quantity kind of fishery? Like, is it is it should should it be really great this time of year, or is it a, yes? Okay. It uh, it normally is. Um. It is, like, in the summertime, it's not great. 
in the spring it's pretty good and then the summertime i think part of it is it's so busy it's like uh, it's like a real small lake of the ozarks or i guess if you're in minnesota uh, it'd be like lake minnetonka if you've never been on it there's just huge yachts everywhere so like part of it i think you just you like physically can't really fish because you're sitting in like five footers all day long from these giant boat wakes mm-hmm. um other than that uh yeah like this time of year it's good um and you can catch big ones i mean there's four or five pounders in there all right what it's are not the... like a malax where like this time of year you might have a chance of catching like a seven yeah yeah uh what are your but yeah you de- numbers can be good well, Minnesota, you can only have one hook. Wisconsin, you can have three hooks. Is that on the border, or is that all in Wisconsin, or like what's the? Or yeah, have- it's on the it's it's on the border. So, uh, if you're in, uh, if you're in, I I gotta double check on this. I'm gonna buy a Wisconsin license because then when I'm in Wisconsin waters, I can throw three hooks. But I believe if I have. My Minnesota license, I can legally fish, like, both sides of the river, but I only have to use one hook, right? I have to default to my state's regulation on it. That is and then insane, Wisconsin, sure. w- Yeah, Wisconsin, when you're on the Minnesota side, you can only use one hook. Hmm. So uh, I got a rig tied up with three hooks ready to go, and I got one rigged up with one hook ready to go. So I'll just – How do you – Wherever I am – so <laughs> luckily from what quinn tells me most of the juice is on the wisconsin side so oh, good 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 yeah yeah your rig do you do like three long and two short or do you just go all about the same and just keep your hooks on the bottom basically and like maybe a little bit smaller bait up top <clears throat> well i've never played around with three hooks uh but like for throwing throwing it around here i do a five wire uh either like eighth ounce weight or i have two sixteenths ounce on the top and then like i guess it depends on how deep i'm fishing and then like maybe two heavier ones on the bottom and then uh let's just say like quarter ounce on the bottom and then a quarter ounce in the middle and then i just go different color swim bait on the on the one hook right so it'd be like uh maybe like a uh arkansas shiner colored swim bait on the four dummies and then, like, a white one in the middle. So you're not, like, dropping your bait back extra or anything like that? You're not no, really, I've tried. You're you're not changing the configuration. You're changing just the baits, not the whole configuration. Yeah, I've played around with, like, tying a dropper. Like, I've done, like, uh, real heavy fluorocarbon to keep it kind of rigid because I, I experimented with braid for a while, but that just, like, tumbles around and gets tangled up. I bet it's a So mess. I've done, like... Yeah fluorocarbon where i uh tie it to like a big swivel so i can clip it onto the the middle clip Mm -hmm. and then maybe go like i don't know nine inches back to another snap clip just to make changing hooks out easier or you know whatever instead of tying uh i use 40 or 60 pound fluoro uh i've done 80 as well i don't I just don't think it made a difference. Like, I don't think I got any more bites doing that mm-hmm. versus just running it regular. So that's why I just run it regular now because I don't have to mess with uh, all that hassle of tying it. But I, I, I still feel like most of the time, you know, you'll, you'll definitely feel them hit the dummies. But usually after, like, bumping it a time or two, they'll 
they'll grab the one in the middle. Fair enough. Man, it'd be fun. And if I, you I could, usually yeah. always throw white with like I'll do chartreuse on like the on the throat of it or something, just to really make it kind of pop and stand out. Yeah. On, I know. I would say on St. Clair and on Kentucky Lake, they really dig that. Uh, it's the electric blue and chartreuse Kitek. Oh yeah, yeah. I saw that on uh, on your rig. Uh, they are big fans of that. Um, and I think that's a really good center bait, you know, to direct oh, the sure. strikes. Because um, honestly, if you put it on, if you put, if you got it on there, they'll eat that. I bet like a solid sixty or seventy percent of the time. Um, oh. And I mean, I've thrown it, but you know, the the water on the Saint Croix is like a much more brown kind of water, isn't it? It's not like. Yeah, like Kentucky yeah, Lake not, in the winter is actually kind of blue, and St. Clair is really blue and clear, too, obviously. So you're kind of dealing with some different different dynamics there. Mm-hmm. Um, anyhow. Well, that sounds like a blast. I'm a huge fan of fishing umbrella rigs for smallmouths. If you want to learn about how Scott Dobson fishes umbrella rigs for smallmouths, stay tuned to, to FLWFishing.com. Oh, I can't wait. Because, uh, you know, this is, uh, this is a tease here, but... There is a story about how he does that, and uh, there are some photos that accompany it. Sweet. Um, so anyhow, I guess that'll about do it. Kyle, do you have anything else we need to talk about, or do you think we're about wrapped up? I think uh, we're about wrapped up. All righty. Um, we've got an email address, correct? We absolutely do. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, ideas for the show, maybe a guest you want to hear from, Hit us up, podcast at flwfishing.com. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, for sure. Uh, you can follow FLW a whole variety of locations. Uh, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter. Those are all pretty much FLW, FLW Fishing, FLW Official on Snapchat. Kyle, you're Kyle Lumber on Instagram. I'm Jody Blanco on Instagram. And I think that pretty much wraps us up here. I think it does. Uh, I guess, you know, keep doing you. Hope you get out fishing soon. I'm going to have fun catching smallmouths. We'll hear all about it next week. See ya. All right. Oh, dang, son. I'm knocking stuff over. Cool, cool, cool. How are we doing? Spilled water on my desk. God dang. That's no fun. Like a bowl in a china shop. You figure that out. I'm going to eat some trail mix here. Like a bowl in a china shop. Well, I mean, that'll like evaporate. That's cool. I can, I can, I can, uh, I can move on.